Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Many civilizations have concocted different versions of the afterlife or heaven, the hereafter, what it means to live forever. And when we as Christians hear eternal life, eternity, heaven, we say amen, and it makes us happy to sing when we all get to heaven, and I'll fly away, and what a day that will be, and we have all these wonderful thoughts about what heaven will be, but how often do we as Christians even, Bible-believing Christians, how often do even we tend to focus on present circumstances to where heaven and our eternal life with Christ becomes an afterthought? I was sad as I was reading to think about how many days I go through and how many days go by for me that I don't ever stop to think about heaven. I don't ever stop to think about where I'm going or my eternal home. And y'all might be you know, holier than I am, but I wonder how many days you go through, how many hours you go through where heaven, eternal life, eternity with Jesus maybe doesn't even come to mind. And maybe it's just not, just not that exciting to you. Or maybe, as we're going to see tonight, that we just have some misunderstandings and some misconceptions about it. As Christians, we affirm the absolute mortality of man. In other words, because mankind fell into sin, in Adam, all die. The author says in the book that the mortality rate is and will forever be until Jesus returns 100%. We affirm that people will die. We as Christians confess the brevity of life. That Ecclesiastes says life is like a, a vapor. It's like a wind that's here today and gone tomorrow. We're like grass that grows and then is just dead and thrown into the fire and burned. We're here today, gone tomorrow. Like a breath, the author pointed out, I think, breathing on a, a cold day when you see the vapor coming out of your mouth and then it just disappears. We affirm the brevity of life and the importance of eternity. I don't know if you've ever seen the illustration. It's become popular for pastors to do, but I think it started with uh, Francis Chan, who had a rope, and he pulled out this piece of rope, and there was this circle on the rope, and he said, this is, this is your life. Think about this as your life, this little circle on this piece of rope. And then he begins to pull the rope and pull the rope and pull the rope, and pull the rope, and I, I mean, it's an insane length, the amount of rope that's backstage that he just keeps pulling and pulling and pulling, and you get the picture, right? That's eternity compared to our little speck of life there at the beginning of that rope, and so in light of that, this is life, and that's eternity. In light of that, it, it would make sense for us Christians to try to understand and come to a thought about eternity more than we sometimes do. We affirm the gospel, 
We affirm that Jesus came and he lived and he died so that those of us who believe in him can have eternal life. We grow up confessing John 3.16, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we as Christians say amen, amen, amen. But when it comes to what heaven is, how much confusion is there? How much false teaching is there? How many misconceptions are there? And listen, this is the one that hit me. How much neglect of this doctrine and of this place that is our home? How much neglect is there? I'm afraid in recent years, um, two, in my mind, two kind of big fronts have kind of had a monopoly on heaven. One was the left behind craze about 25 or 20 years ago. I can't remember. And, and I th- for good things that occupied people's minds, the end times and trying to understand the rapture and the millennium and, and how all that works out in the book of Revelation. But the bad side of that is, is that people, I think, began to think of eternity and heaven purely in terms of the end times. So when you would ask someone about heaven or eternal life, perhaps their mind would immediately go to the rapture or the tribulation or the millennium rather than what heaven actually is and what the new heavens and the new earth actually are and what it means for God's kingdom to come. Another front, I think, that took over this uh, was the craze maybe 10 or so years ago. It still is out there, but uh, I don't even know what you call it. The, the visits to heaven. So whether it was 90 minutes in heaven or heaven is for real or I can't remember the one that turned out like the kid ended up saying, no, I made it all up. I can't remember which one that was, but it was the, the Burpo family was the guy's name. That became a big deal. They made a big movie about it. And, and I'm not one of those that just says that's outright false. Here's all I know about that. The Apostle Paul was transported to what he called the third heaven. The Apostle Paul, presumably, was able to see where it is that God dwells. And he was there. And the Apostle Paul, coming back into his regular existence, said, The things I saw, they are unlawful for me to repeat. He couldn't even bring words to what he saw. So here's just my thinking. If the Apostle Paul was able to see heaven and yet come back and say, I can't describe it. I do not put a whole lot of stock or weight into anyone else that says they've gone to heaven and they come back and have some report to tell us. It's also interesting when you note that everyone who's had these experiences has different reviews and reports of what heaven was like. That should tell us something. Maybe something else is going on there. I'm not going to write that off altogether. I would just say to be very careful. So I think these two fronts have kind of taken over the way Christians think about heaven. I like the illustration that the author gave uh, in the book of a swimmer named Florence Chadwick. Has anybody read the first chapters of the book yet? Do you remember this illustration with the swimmer Florence Chadwick who was trying to swim from Catalina Island, which is apparently off the coast of California, in 1952. She was trying to, s- to swim in the Pacific Ocean from this island to the shore of California. Now, she had already swum, swum? She had already swam. She had already swam the English Channel both ways. Now, I'm thinking about, you know, when I'm at a hotel or something or uh, 
swimming in the pool and I think about swimming from to that end and back and you know how tiring that is for me this this chick swam to one side and back of the English Channel and so she's trying to swim from this island to the coast of California and it was a foggy day she was exhausted having already swam 15 hours you imagine trying to swim 15 hours and she was getting tired and exhausted and it was foggy and she gave up she stopped swimming she asked the rescue rescue boat there to pull her in because she couldn't go anymore only to find out when she got on the boat that the shore was just a half mile away now still that sounds like well I would have given up just with the half mile but <laughs> she, <laughs> for her that was nothing and she said, all I could see was the fog. But if I could have just seen the shore, I think I would have made it. You see the illustration, I think. What a thought that is for believers as we come into this study of heaven to look to the shore of the promised land, to look through the fog, to look through all the mess and try to understand where we're going, what it's about, and let that be an impetus for us to keep going, to keep, just keep swimming. Here, finding Nemo in my head right now. Just keep swimming, just keep going. Persevere, press on to the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. So that's what this study is about. It's seeing the shore, and it's encouraging us to press on, fueled not with speculation, hopefully not with misconceptions and misunderstandings, fueled by the scriptures and fueled by sound theology that is much better than all the other stuff that people make up. So this next topic is interesting to me, and I, I found myself echoing some of these things reading it, looking forward to heaven. Do you look forward to heaven? Everybody's nodding their head. Just think about it for a second. Do you look forward to heaven? I remember when I was little, and you know, heaven and hell and the reality of eternity was just starting to settle in. And I began to think, you know, in this life, we're here, and I'm growing up, and we're changing, and we're going. We're always going to a destination. And I thought about as a kid, how my, and I'm this way to this day, that when there's not a goal or something to look forward to or some change or some event coming up, you know, how monotonous and boring life can become. And so when I was little, I began to think about eternity. I was like, we're going to be in this place forever. You ever seen the Sandlot and the little kid with the flashlight to us? Forever. For, that's what I think about. Forever. Never going anywhere else. Never doing anything else. Never changing. Never moving. We're there forever. Now, as much as we love heaven, I think everybody in here could echo maybe a little bit of, mm, that sounds a little strange, being somewhere forever. So I ask you again, do you look forward to heaven? In the book, on um, page, actually, use your study guide, uh, page 22 of the study guide, question number four, he asks, page 22, when people express worries about going to heaven and living there eternally, what are they sometimes concerned about? And what assumptions do they make about heaven? I think some of the assumptions people make about heaven may be, as I said, eternal monotony. We're going to go to this place and be there forever and not change and not go and not do anything else. How about the, the view that it's an endless worship service? You know, as we 
go into the 45th minute of a Pastor Matt sermon and you think, well, if heaven is an endless worship service and this is what it is right now, <laughs> I, I don't know about all that. Oh, yeah, it'll be all, yeah. That makes all the music people happy. But you're right. You're right. Could, I'll get on that later, David. <laughs> and maybe you think of it as boring, like the pastor uh, that the author mentions who confessed that heaven sounded depressing to him because he had this idea that was floating around on the clouds, playing a harp and singing the same song forever and forever and forever. Well, how about this one? And this one, I think, is what gets me. I think it's what gets, it's what get, gets a lot of us. What about things that we will miss in this life? I told Zane I was going to quote the Kenny Chesney song, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, Nobody Wants to Go Now. It's a stupid song. It's a blasphemous song. But I think it echoes what a lot of people think. You know, when you're a teenager, when I was a teenager, I wanted to go to heaven. didn't want to go to hell. That was the opposite, right? I want to go to heaven, but I wanted to get married. I want to have a family. I want to have kids. I want to experience all those wonderful things. You know, I wanted to go on just one more vacation, one more trip to Disney World, one more trip to the beach, something like that. I was always there saying, well, wait, 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 wait. I, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go now. And how many of us echo that sometimes? Or, or maybe the thought of being separated from a loved one. Maybe you have a lost loved one that has died, and, and you don't have any reason to think that they are in heaven. And you think, well, heaven just won't be the same without so-and-so, that brother, that parent, that grandparent, or that lost child. I mean, th these thoughts weigh heavy on us, and they should. So I think sometimes we tend to think about heaven in light of that. But here's the question. I think this is on the handout. What does this reveal about our concept of the world? What does it reveal about our concept of heaven? What does it reveal about our concept of Christ? I mean, if you, if sometimes it just helps to say things out loud. And what we're saying sometimes when we worry about those things, what we're saying really is the stuff I enjoy here must be better than heaven. That relationship that I don't want to lose here must be better than my relationship that I'm going to have eternally with Jesus. The presence of my family and the things I love here is more important than enjoying the presence of God forever. And none of us would say that, but how often do we treat heaven in that way? Or it almost becomes this bittersweet thing. We're looking forward to it, we long for it, but there's also this sense of what we'll miss here and who we'll miss here. What does it say about our concept of the world and heaven and Jesus. Question number six on the study, in the study guide on page 24. Question number six, I think, answers this. And if you're sitting there right now with the study guide, I encourage you to go ahead and fill this out. On the left-hand side, uh, it, it encourages you to write things in life right now that are good experiences. So on the left-hand side, you know, I might write my marriage with Jessica, my kids our place here of ministry of First Baptist Church, the times we get to go on vacation and go see family, and the things I enjoy about this world, the beach, 
and the ocean and all the wonderful things here. Write that stuff, your stuff, on the left column there. Or when you get home, you can do it too. And then on the right side, the column is labeled better by far. And it encourages you to take those things that you enjoy here and correspond that to what heaven will be like, if you can, and understand that the promises of heaven and the joys of heaven and the presence of God and of Jesus in heaven is far better than anything you could write on the left-hand column. Now, we've got to begin to think that way about heaven if we're going to think accurately about heaven. I remember my, they called him our campus pastor in Bible college. He was a sweet, sweet man, had a sweet wife. I remember he said one time, you know, that as much as he loved his wife, and that this really set in for me when he said this, as much as he loved his wife, and as sweet and wonderful and kind as she was, and as much as he did not want to leave her here when he died, and he had cancer, and he was, he was probably going to die soon, he said he came to an understanding that being with Jesus being with Christ is the fulfillment of that little joy he has with his wife now. That being in heaven with Christ is the fulfillment of all the joys and all the happiness that we could ever experience with anything here in this life. And so if we begin to think of heaven in that way, as much as I love my wife and my kids and this world and vacations and the beach and the forest and the mountains and all the glories that God has provided us here, they all point us to something better. They all point us to something fuller. And so just as much as I like to come home to my bed with clean sheets after being somewhere else and just relax and you have that moment of, thank you, Jesus, to be back in my own home, in my own room, in my own bed, with my own pillows, my air conditioning. That's what heaven is going to be like. There won't be a sense of getting to heaven and thinking, oh man, well, I'm glad I'm here, but I miss. Can you, can you imagine that you will not think that way? There will be nothing missing, nothing lacking when we get to heaven. I got preachy there for a minute and lost my place. Yeah, at the bottom there, <laughs> page 22 in the study guide, there's a quote that I like. I don't think it's in the book, but it's in the study guide. We were made for a person, and we were made for a place. We were made for a person, and we were made for a place. If you have the book on the bottom, on the bottom of page 7 in the book book, The bottom of page seven is this quote from Charles Spurgeon, third paragraph from the bottom. Charles Spurgeon said about heaven, to come to thee is to come home from exile, to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. And then the author says at the bottom of page 7, that last paragraph, what God made us to desire, and therefore what we do desire, if we admit it, is exactly what he promises to those who follow Jesus Christ. A resurrected life, 
a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ, listen, on our resurrected earth. We were made for a person and we were made for a place. And when we come to that full experience of eternity in the presence of God and of Christ in heaven, there won't be anything missing. So what are the reasons for our confusion? What are the reasons that we have some misconceptions and misunderstandings about heaven? The author points to number one, I think this is on the back of your handout, the top, theological neglect. Uh, Alcorn lists some like titans of systematic theology. I think he mentions John Calvin. I think he mentions Herman Bavinck. Um, there are some others that he mentions, some Puritans. And, and you understand that these men, Calvin, Bavinck, Sibbs, the Puritans, they wrote volumes upon volumes upon volumes of theology books. The Puritans were known to go on and on and on about one doctrine. The Puritans would write, um, I think Steve Lawson said this one time, as if they were looking at a diamond with all its many facets. And the way Puritans write about doctrine is to look at one facet at a time and to write an entire volume about it. And then they turn the diamond to the next little facet and write an entire volume about it. But with all these titanic figures in theology and all these massive volumes that they wrote, the author points out how often the doctrine of heaven got a half page or a page. Now, the resurrection of the body, the end times, the millennium, whatever it is you want to call it, those got chapters upon chapters. But what heaven actually is, the actual doctrine of heaven, one page or maybe nothing at all. And so as we kind of think about this, I'm going to bring myself to the floor here as your pastor, When's the last time you heard a sermon on heaven? And we're starting it here, okay, Bible study. I'm checking my box right here. <laughs> when's, the last time you, you read, when's the last time you read a decent book, except for this one, a decent, biblical, theologically sound book about the doctrine of heaven? So that can obviously lead us to some confusion when we have a lack of theological material on it. The author calls the second reason that it's off our radar screens. It's off our radar screens that we have subjective views of the afterlife. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean that we tend to pick and choose different versions of heaven that match what we like. How often do you hear people say this? Maybe even supposed Christians. Maybe even Bible-believing, conservative, raised in church, should know better Christians who hear something about heaven. It's not necessarily biblical, it might even be anti-biblical, and they say, but you know what? I like that. And so because they like that idea, or they like that concept, they just go ahead and embrace it and adopt it into their view of heaven. How often have we done that as individuals? How often have you done that? That you hear something, you say something, I know it's not quite in the Bible, and it might even be against the Bible, but I kind of like it, and so I want to believe that. How often do we do that? We subject our views of heaven to the whims of our culture and we just kind of piece things together. Or how often do we just put the doctrine on the back burner? Because maybe we're just so overcome with the busyness, busyness of our life now and maybe those things that we talked about before that we don't want to let go of here and now in this world and so we put eternity on the back burner. We put heaven on the back burner and we don't think about it. 
The author points out another serious reason, and that is the satanic reason. In John 8, 44, Jesus calls the devil, the liar, and the father of lies. He hates people, he hates believers, he hates God. And the author says that three ways Satan seeks to deceive believers is to blaspheme God's person, who God is, to blaspheme God's people, who the church is, and he seeks to blaspheme God's place, which is heaven. So if you really think about it, what more does the devil want than than to confuse our thoughts about God, to confuse our thoughts about the church, and to confuse our thoughts about heaven? Uh, on page 11 of the book, and if you haven't, when on your, in your handout, the way I'm notifying or noting that I'm in the book, if it says page 21, H, that's the heaven book. If it says a page number, comma, SG, that's the study guide. So I'm on page 11 in the book, uh, second paragraph down. Here's what the author says about Satan. Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. Isn't that interesting? Satan doesn't, with unbelievers, with false religions, he doesn't try too hard to convince people that heaven doesn't exist, though he does do that. Well, he doesn't try too hard at that. Everybody thinks about heaven or the afterlife. There's multiple false religions in the world. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring unearthly existence if we believe that lie we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation we'll set our minds on this life and not the next and we won't be motivated to share our faith why should we share the good news quote-unquote that people can spend eternity in a boring ghostly place that even we're not looking forward to And how often does Satan breed those kind of lies? I thought that was kind of brilliant, that Satan doesn't even, he doesn't bother to convince people there's no heaven. He deceives people into thinking they're going to heaven that aren't. And then he uses his lies to detract from the joys of heaven, even for believers. Uh, Questions 7 and 8 in the study guide on page 25, if you're following along in the study guide. Questions 7 and 8, I already quoted John 8, 44. Look later at Revelation 13, 1 through 6, and the devil as a liar. How does Jesus categorize the devil, and what are the three objects of slander for the satanic beast described in uh, Revelation 13? Jesus describes the devil as a liar who blasphemes the three things I just said, God's person, God's church, God's people, and God's place. So in Revelation 13, the beast begins to utter lies, and the first person he utters lies about is God himself, God's person. The second subject he goes after are believers, accusing, slandering believers, God's people. And the third thing he lies about and slanders is God's place, the kingdom of heaven. Question number eight there on the bottom of page 25 in the study guide. It's clear from Scripture that Satan lies, Some of his favorite lies are about heaven. Consider this. If we become convinced that heaven is boring, unearthly, or unknowable, what impact does that have on our motivation to live for the next life? 
How can it affect how or whether we share our faith? How can it affect how or whether we share our faith? If we think heaven is boring or if we give little to no thought to it. If eternity is way in the back of our minds somewhere and not on the forefront each, each day, doesn't it stand to reason that we're going to be a little slower to share our faith? Why? Because that doesn't seem so pressing. I'm happy with the things are right now. We always tend to think that we're immortal and that heaven is not coming, eternity is not coming. And so if even we as Christians begin to think that way because of Satan's lies, do you see how it can detract from us sharing our faith with others because that need and that urgency of eternity may not even be there for us. And so why would we share the gospel with someone else if earth is fine the way it is right here and right now? Another reason that the author gives for us neglecting heaven is naturalism, what C.S. Lewis called naturalism, where everything is understood in scientific terms with little to no spiritual or supernatural explanations. And if you think about it, this is everywhere. With the rise of Darwinism and modernism, and everything can be explained by science and reason and logic and the senses, and nothing exists and nothing is real outside of those things, an anti-supernatural view of the world and life, then you can see how quickly we dismiss heaven. And I think about the hopelessness of this way of thinking for so many people. But how many people, is, th is this really our worldview? There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no eternity. There is no judgment. There is no rewards. All there is is this life, right here, right now. We die and we cease to exist. And everything you've done, while it might have been good, ultimately means nothing and there is no such thing as good and there is no such thing as wrong or right or true or false you see how this seeps into even our worldview sometimes and certainly the worldview of so many people around us no heaven no eternity no judgment no hell and how quickly that affects the way we view the afterlife and everything supernatural the lie is that heaven and everything supernatural is just an extension of earthly thinking. So from a natural point of view, they say, well, here's why people think there's a heaven. Because we see the sun and we see the stars and we see the beauty of what's around us and we tend to think there's something beyond this. And so what the naturalist or the atheist does is they say, well, all that stuff about God and eternity and heaven and the afterlife, all that is is an extension of what we know here. In other words, we just made it up. The author reminds us from a biblical worldview that it is not heaven that is an extension of what we think and what we do in this world, but it is this world and this creation that is an extension of heaven. And eternity and glory and beauty and goodness and truth means something, not because we've made it up and project it, but because it's been fixed into us because we are made in the image and likeness of God. So the lie is that that is just an extension of what we think now. 
whereas the truth is that earth and everything else is an extension of heaven. This is just the lesser light pointing to that greater light. And so what do we do with that knowledge? Well, number one, we must recognize our blindness. We must recognize our blindness, even as believers, even as Christians sometimes, recognize these areas of neglect, thinking about heaven and eternity. We must recognize these areas maybe of error in our thinking, where we're, perhaps we've adopted some extra-biblical or even anti-biblical view of heaven or eternity. We've got to recognize where those blind spots are. Number two, we must embrace the truth by faith. Christianity, all religion, really, theism as just a topic, is based on faith. That we do not scientifically rationalize and explain everything with our senses. Christianity says the opposite of that. We embrace the truth by faith. And number three, we must live in light of that truth. So what we believe and what we think about eternity or God or Jesus or salvation, whatever it is, what we believe and what we think about those things must have an impact on how we live now. And if it doesn't, we can't really claim to believe it. But if we really do believe it, there will be a change in how we live and how we think. Lastly, the author asked this question, is heaven beyond our imagination? The first place he takes us is to the scriptures. That's a good place. Scripture uses many illustrations and metaphors for heaven. Some of the illustrations, metaphors, allegories, symbols the scriptures use are a garden. Heaven is called a city. We sometimes think of the word kingdom. Or how about Jesus who uses the illustration of a house? In my father's house are many rooms. This picture of Jesus as the groom going away to his father's house to build on to that house so that he can bring his bride there. Some of the older translations call it mansions. Nothing wrong with that. It doesn't really have the same ring to me as in my father's house or many rooms. I'm building this place for you. So scripture uses these emblems, these symbols, these metaphors, these allegories. But how often do we dismiss these? Listen, this is my favorite word as merely spiritual. That's only a symbol. That's only a metaphor. That's only an allegory. And that's all it is. But when we think about it, is it all just symbolism? Or is there any substance to it? Here's the truth about what we believe about heaven. We believe God's kingdom. Listen to these things now and begin to think of how we over-spiritualize heaven sometimes. God's kingdom will come to earth. Do we believe this? God's kingdom will come to earth. I think sometimes we've been kind of fooled into thinking that dying, going to heaven, eternity, eternal life is all about leaving here and leaving our body and leaving this world and leaving creation and going to float up in the clouds somewhere. 
but the Bible teaches that God's kingdom will come to earth. Number two, we will experience a physical resurrection. Do we believe that? We're not just going to be disembodied spirits floating around forever and ever. No, our bodies will be physically raised from the dead. So at the end of the day, it is not all merely spiritual. There is something very physical and very real about this. In fact, when God made us as human beings, he made us from the dust of the ground, remember, physical, and then he breathed his own spirit into us and we became a living soul by the implantation of that spirit by God's breath. So human beings, by their very nature, are not just spiritual and we're not just physical. How often I hear Christians talk about their bodies and how their bodies are dying or they're old and they make these comments meaning well and there's some truth to it but we say things like this isn't me this is just my, my tabernacle this is just this this is just the old clay vessel this isn't really me the truth of the gospel is it is really you and one day your spirit will be reunited with your body Remember when God created Adam in that way? He made him physical, he made him spiritual, and only when that happened did he say, it is good. We are just as much spiritual as we are physical, and we're just as much physical as we are spiritual. So heaven must be both. The end result is a righteous humanity and a righteous creation. And when God gives us these symbols and these allegories and these metaphors of heaven, he doesn't intend for us to just dismiss them as being purely spiritual and purely symbolic. symbolic. No, he gives us these gifts, these pictures, these things that we can latch onto and we understand in our language, in our world. And he gives us these things, the author says, and I agree, to fuel our imaginations not just to make up stuff, but to fuel our imaginations with Scripture so that these pictures and these wonderful things God gives us to latch onto become things that we long for. They become things that we think about. They become things that we dwell on. Closing with a few quotes and a few questions on the bottom of page 18 in the book, bottom of page 18 in the book actually middle of page 18 the author tells us this uh, middle of that top section think of friends you see that listen to what he says think of friends or family members who love Jesus and are with him now picture them with you walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic athlete, or decathlete. That sounds like something I don't want any part of. You are laughing, playing, talking, reminiscing. You reach up to pick a tree, pick a fruit off a tree, an apple or an orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming toward you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. At last, you're with the person you were made for. In the place you were made to be. 
Everywhere you go, there will be new people and places to enjoy, new things to discover. What do you smell? A feast, a party's ahead, and you're invited. There's exploration, there's work to be done, and you can't wait to get started. You see how we're not just making stuff up, but fueled by those pictures we do have in Scripture, God enables us to imagine, and he enables us to long for these things. Look at uh, pages 26 and 27 in the study guide. I don't have time to read these to you, but I'm going to point out a few things. Number nine, number nine, the author in the book talks about these two passages, 1 Corinthians 2 and Deuteronomy 29, 29. In both instances, it, it's, these are scriptures that people sometimes use to explain away these imaginations of heaven. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we can't imagine what God has prepared. No eye seen, no ear has heard. We, we can't even begin to imagine. And so someone will say, see, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be thinking and, and imagining things. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. And so we say, heaven is a secret thing. It is a spiritual thing. And we dare not try to imagine it or think about it. Maybe this is what keeps us from doing much theology and doctrine on it. But the author points out, rightly that in both cases whether it's Paul talking about these things that have not been revealed or whether it's Moses talking about the secret things that belong to the Lord in both cases though Paul says but to you Christians believers by the Holy Spirit by the word of God to you it has been revealed and what does Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine go on to say not just that the secret things belong to the Lord. Don't you dare think about them. Comma. But the things that have been revealed belong to us. And God has given them to us as his gift to us. And so the author, I think, rightly concludes that we should imagine, fueled by scripture, we should imagine heaven we should think about heaven in those ways. We're allowed to do that. Though it is holy, though it is secret, though it belongs to God, what he has revealed to us, we can use. And he intends for us to use it for those purposes. Just a few more quotes from the book, and uh, we'll be done. On, in the book, pages 20 and 21. I'm going to string some quotes together here, but this is from the book. Uh, bottom of page 20, kind of the middle of that paragraph. Listen. To long for Christ is to long for heaven, for that is where we will be with him. God's people are longing for a better country, Hebrews eleven sixteen. We cannot set our eyes on Christ without setting our eyes on heaven. And we cannot set our eyes on heaven without setting our eyes on Christ. Still, it is not only Christ, but things above that we're to set our minds on. Isn't that what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3? Don't set your gaze on the things of the world, but set your focus on the things that are above, where Christ is. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you will be with him in glory. Paul commands us to think about heaven. The author rightly translates that Greek phrase there to say this isn't just to kind of passing, passingly think about heaven. When it comes to mind, when we happen to hear a song or see a movie about it, but to dwell on it and let heaven and the things above where Christ is. Because to think about heaven is to think about Christ, and to think about Christ is to think about heaven. And so if your focus is on Christ every day, your focus is naturally going to be on heaven every single day. You're naturally going to be looking to the shore every single day. And Paul says how transformative this would be for our lives. The author goes on, on page 21, to say that our minds are so much set on earth that we are accustomed, we are not accustomed to heavenly thinking. Our minds are so set on earth that we're not accustomed to heavenly thinking. So he says, we must work on it. We need, top of page 22, we need a generation of heavenly-minded people who see human beings and earth itself not only simply as they are, but as God intends them to be. I think the center of that is the most important thing for us to do tonight and in the rest of this study. We must work on it. I'm so happy to see a big old crowd here tonight, more than we usually have. I encourage you not to let the first week just be the New Year's resolution week and then, you know, there's 10 of you next week. I encourage you to stay the course, be faithful. Even if you don't buy the books, just come, be faithful, listen, study, because this is something that we as Christians must work on. We're so earthly-minded that we don't think about heaven all that much. And what this study and what this book and this time is intended to do is to help us to work on it. All right, let's close in prayer. Thank you, God, for the promise of heaven that we have through Christ. And I ask that as we have considered these things tonight, you've stirred our hearts and our affections and our emotions. Help us to take what we've thought about here tonight, what you've stirred in our hearts, and to put it into action as maybe we change the way we think. And as we change the way we think and come into alignment with your truth, you will change the way we live. And so by your Holy Spirit, point us to that blessed shore, that promised land where we will be with you, with Christ our Lord, with all the saints of all time forever and ever. God, focus our minds on Christ as we think about heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.